Weather Weekend Variety Wireless. Good evening. Later on this hour, we celebrate the life and legacy of one of our most celebrated scientists and New Zealanders. His name, Paul Callahan, subject of a movie on at the festival. Uh, his life cut short far, far too early. Here he is. One of the values of science is that knowledge is never to be feared. There's an in inherent, if you like, faith in science that knowledge per se is never to be feared. And I, I feel if... if for me, approaching my disease, I've looked at it that way. I've wanted to learn as much about it as possible, what's happening inside me. And, and to be interested in it is to overcome the fear. I just find that works for me. I'm not saying it would for everybody. But it is part of the way that a scientist tends to look at the world. Nature is violent and cruel and, you know, lives can be cut short very, very quickly. And that's the pattern of things. So to have life at all, to have life every day is uh, something to be, uh, you know, in enjoyed and treasured. Paul Callahan, his life in about 25 minutes after the commercial break, though. John Dibbig, off the leash. This is the Weekend Variety Ones on Radio Live. US is the least qualified guy. Who? Oh, look what they are doing today. What are we doing? This guy is telling us it's better for US to shut up. Why? Hey. <laughs> We've had requests again, uh, yeah. the, the new generation of people that have um, looked at, into the Weekend Variety Wireless and heard this thing. Well, who is he? Where does it come from? <laughs> so I found it on the net again. Uh, the original one was taken down, so I don't know. But the, yeah. the latest one's up on the Facebook page. You can hear his whole speechy to this BBC interviewer. It's quite a thing. The audio is not that flash, but I managed to find the original audio. So Yeah, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Okay. Hello, John. Graham, you good? Very good. What a week for you and your president. Wow, wow. We've had a hell of a week. He stirred it up good. I mean, he stirred it up beyond Trumpism. Yeah. I mean, this is another whole new level. It's a show. It's definitely a show. My yeah. God. Okay, now, different opinions about being a leader. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is interesting. I mean, people have different different views on it. You know, Mike Hosking wrote a, a piece this week, and, and he thought that Trump showed strong leadership in Europe. Strong leadership. I mean, he was behind him 100%. And I read it, and you go, eh, okay, I, I, I don't quite see it, you know, as, as strong leadership. And, and this is my view. You look at it. Trump went over to, to, to Europe. He bagged NATO. Hmm. Then he bagged Merkel in front of everybody, the German chancellor. Then he went to England. He bagged Theresa May in front of the public. And then the next day he said he didn't bag her, which mm -hmm. made everybody laugh. He goes, no, we heard you bag her. And then the big one, he goes to Helsinki, and he completely kowtows to Putin. I mean, he bends over and spreads it wide. I mean, he doesn't say a negative thing about this guy. Doesn't bring up the nothing, the, the Russian meddling, the missile that took down the airliner, the poisoning. I mean, a variety of things he might have mentioned or, or at least a, a broach, but nothing but praise for this guy. He wants to be Putin, but he hasn't got the class or the constitution to allow him to do it. Exactly. Well, yeah, he doesn't have the smarts to start with no. to do that. And then, right in front, and then they have a, a, a press conference, and in front of the world, a reporter gets up and says, Mr. President, every U.S. agency, intelligence agency in America has said that Russia meddled in the 2016 election. Will you now, in front of the world, address Putin about this and say this is not acceptable? And Trump, it's just unbelievable his response. 
He just looks at the guy and he goes, well, we have two thoughts here. Uh, one, uh, Dan Coates, and Dan Coates is the top intelligence officer in America. Uh -huh. He came to me and said, we think it's Russia. Now, that's a lie because Dan Coates has said many times in front of Congress and in public that it's, he has irrefutable evidence that it is Russia. He doesn't think it's Russia. Uh -huh. And he said, I blame both sides. I blame America for being stupid and foolish in our relations with Russia. But then that's all he said about it. He, he didn't say anything about Russia. And then, <clears throat> and then he says... And I asked Vladimir, and he said, no, no, no not us. Mm. And you just, he throws Dan Coates under the bus. He throws America under the bus. He throws all the intelligence agencies in America mm. under the bus. Can I remind you about George W. Bush and his meeting with Putin, what he said about Putin? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Cause I... Just weird. Up, up there with Trump. Maybe even worse. Yeah. Uh, do you, can you trust this man? He says, I saw... His, he was wearing a cross on a necklace. Yeah. I saw that, and I thought, I can trust this man. Yeah, I know. I, I remember that. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Doesn't take uh, much, does doesn't, it? Doesn't take much. It yeah. just doesn't take much. <laughs> so then Trump <coughs> so then Trump goes back to America, and he acts genuinely surprised that there's a shitstorm going on. And I mean a real shitstorm. People were talking treason, and that doesn't come out lightly. And he got, you know, rebuked by Fox News. He got rebuked by several top Republicans. So it wasn't just Democrats. He just couldn't. So, so then he starts to go, you know, he starts to backtrack a little bit. You know, you've done something when, when you've fallen out with Fox. Oh, shit, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it floored me. Yeah. So then he tries to backtrack, and he changes one word. From would, I don't see why it would be Russia, is what he said. Yes. And then he goes, well, I meant to say wouldn't. So he edited an N apostrophe T to the end of would, and he figures that solves the whole thing. He says that should clarify it. That should clear everything. And people are looking at him going, are you flipping nuts? I'm... <laughs> It's very much like this beautiful comedy sketch that a friend of mine did. It was actually Matt Heath uh, for his show, Back of the Y. It was talking about some guy who was at the doctor's here, had a Marmite jar <laughs> up his ass. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, had to get it out somehow to the proctologist. And the proctologist says, so how did you, how did this get to where it is? And he says, I was in the shower Making a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, Donald. All right. Then the carrying on with this, you know, this week, his lawyer, his ex-lawyer, Michael Cohen, who was under federal investigation, there's a tape that the feds got. Mm -hmm. And on this tape, you can hear Michael Cohen and Donald Trump talking about paying, making a payment to keep this Playboy bunny quiet who had an affair with him. Mm. And for a year and a half, <coughs> he has denied this. He has said, I don't know her, and they're met her. Who, 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 who are you talking about? Who's Hooters? Who's Hooters? I don't know. I don't know those Hooters, you know? Okay, so he's just, you know, just out and out lied. So, and the, the biggest lie now that we find out is that he was told and shown irrefutable proof that Russia meddled in the election mm -hmm. a week before he was inaugurated. So he is like, this story has just come out this week. 
So he has lied for a year and a half saying he didn't know that it was Russia. Mm. So I'm sorry, Mike. To me, that's not leadership. Strong in any form of the word because mm. the only guy that Donald Trump is interested in is Donald Trump. An interesting take on this when he said you ought to go for a get bolder with your Brexit sort of thing to yeah. Theresa May. Yeah. I didn't mind that. No, no, no. That uh, I didn't either because that's saying, hey, we have a special relationship. What, you want a special trade deal? You know, this is how get you, on with your Brexit. We've is, got your back. This is how you could do it. This is how you could do it. Go, you know, go, she go didn't take them. the advice. She didn't. No, no, she didn't she, hear it. She didn't hear it. That, no, that's right. No. And and I, you know, see that kind of stuff doesn't. You know, I mean, that's his opinion. That's yeah, where yeah, he's coming yeah. from. Yeah, he's a strong guy in that way. So, but as far as being a leader, he is only interested. In one. And here's the really weird thing about about the uh, his trip to to England. Mm. I can't believe this. I mean, English England is one of our all-time allies. I mean, we can't get any closer, really, no. in one sense. I mean, we came from them. Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah Puerto Rico, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but the U.S. Embassy put out an alert to all Americans to keep a low profile unless things get nasty because the president was there. Really? Yeah, yeah they put out an alert. Because he's that hated. Because and, he's that disliked. Uh, and there are just, <coughs> there are insane people out there. Yeah, who would say you're American. I'm yeah, gonna whack that'll you. do. I'm going to whack you. Yeah, you. those are the, uh, th they call themselves anti-racists. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, have a good laugh. <laughs> you know? Now, the other thing about this Helsinki summit, he met with Putin for two hours with nobody else in the room. Mm. So you got two world-class liars. That's ordinary, isn't it? No, fuck, excuse me. Hell no! Are you kidding me? Are you shitting me? Sorry, are you serious? Yeah. No, God, no! You never have a meeting like that with just yourselves because now Russia's come out and said all kinds of bullshit things. Who's going to refute it? Mm. You always have your top military aide or top intelligence officer and a couple of other people with you to make sure that everything is on the up and up. Not for people, you know, <laughs> that you do have private talks though. Not, not, not like this. Mm. Not because this is exactly because now Russia's going to come out and say they're going to say more stuff. This is going to come out. What did Trump say? We don't know. Did he record it? No. But Doesn't you know, know how he was. But you know who probably did record it? Yeah. The Ruskies. Of course. They got it on recording. Yeah. You know? Now, catch this. This is the other... <laughs> the Ruskies. <laughs> this is the other twist in this goddamn story. Yeah. There was a U.S. interpreter in the room. They had interpreters. That was the only other pre people in there. Well, the Democrats said, well, you know, this Trump is so untrustworthy, we would like to interview and ask their interpreter what the hell went on. The House Intelligence Committee said, let's bring the interpreter in and question her. The Democrats or the Republicans to a to a party line vote voted no. Really? What are they trying to hide? I mean, why? What is that? I mean, why would they do that? Only one reason I can think of to protect the president. Yeah. Because they know there's some bullshit going on. Yeah. No, that, that's weird. Now, come on, you got to admit it. That's oh, weird. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. working in a democracy. All we want to do is ask the person some questions, and they say, "Nah, can't do it." Since 1974. You know, can we have the tapes? That's right. That's right. And you know, I'm sorry, Richard. What's happened? The, uh, the we've lost 19 minutes off this conversation. Yeah, it seems somebody's taped over it. What happened? And here's a segue. I'm in, not a crook. Here's a segue in those goddamn tapes. Mm. This guy Kavanaugh, who's going to be a supreme, trying to be a Supreme Court judge, mm -hmm. he has a dissenting opinion that they should even have gone after the tapes. Oh. 
Talk about protecting a president's ass. If this guy gets in, Trump's going to go, well, give me the crown right now. I'm king. Yeah. Forget about it. Okay. Now, getting <laughs> down to the nitty and gritty. Oh, this is great. This is a great story. I love this shit. Yeah. Now we're getting down to some good stuff here. You know, because you got, you got the spy skin. You got the Ruskies meddling and doing all this crap and stuff. Mm. Now we got a woman. Oh. We got sex. We got sex. This is great. All right. This is great. This is they, The feds just arrested a woman named Maria Butin. Uh-huh. She's a Russian. She came over as a student on a student visa, studied at a couple of universities, got degrees, made political connections, ran around and did this and did that. And then um, afterwards, you know, she's uh, tr- got involved with the NRA. Uh-huh. She's, a, she's a pistol shooter. Um, then she hooked up with a, poli- a Republican political operative. This guy is one of these guys that runs around introducing people to people and, you know, making things happen. Now, this is a classic. This is lovely. I love the story. Picture this. Just just picture this, folks. Here's this woman. She's 29. Got a great rack. I mean, I have to say it. I've seen, you know, the outline. You know, long red hair. You know, when she's made up, she's a fox. I mean, she's a good-looking lady. She hooked up with it. She's living with this guy. She's been living with him. He's 56, semi-bald, paunchy. And this guy thinks that this, Irresistible. Irresistible. This guy thinks this woman fell in love with him. And she, <laughs> they've got emails and communiques from her to her handler in Russia that she's really tired of living with this guy, but she'll do it for Mother Russia. I swear to God. I mean, it's such a cliche you can't believe. And there's tons of pictures of this woman with... Republican Congress people. I mean, she has been infil- she's infiltrated. She even got up at one time and got a question into Trump at a press conference about oh. Russia and whatnot. I mean, all this stuff is coming coming to fore. Honey trap, honey trap. Yeah, and so you know they've just arrested her and they got all these charges and stuff. So it'll be re- oh, she had a a dinner with Don Jr. at an NRA convention. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you you start to look, you go, wow, this gal's been all over the goddamn place, you know. So. It'll be interesting to see where this story leads, but it just kills me when I looked at the guy that she was living with, this Erickson guy from South Dakota of all places. That's, your, that's your hometown. That's my home. That's my home state. For my my family is from South Dakota, but this guy, I'm looking at him going, "You thought you were a magnet to attract this Russian babe? Come, yeah. you know, you got to be smarter than that." Mm. Yeah, I know. But it's a, you know. It often happens. And then, um, and he's then, he's dead now, but it was Paul Holmes in his book, wasn't it? He says, "I somehow I'm." Just very attractive to women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's that magnetism. Yeah, that's right. But the other thing, too, about they found, you know, this woman, while living with this guy, mm. offered other guys sex to get into positions and organizations where she could gather information. Mm. I mean, it's just it's just a classic Russia story. Mm. Russian spy. The female spider web. <laughs> Good one. Okay, uh, now the Oval Office. Now the Oval Office. Is okay. it actually oval? Yeah, it's oh. oval. That's it's not square. It's not rectangular. It's oval. It's uh. shaped like a like an egg. Okay, is what it is. That's why they call it the Oval Office. Right, right, right. And it, it has a lot of you know immediate. <laughs> you know? I'm not surprised, but I needed to ask. Yeah, but they, you know, it has a lot of reference. I mean, it's it's spoken in reference terms. It's it's spoken with a lot of respect. Reverence, you mean? Yeah, reverence. Yep. Okay, it starts with an R and it had an F in there, and mm-hmm. you know, it's in the ballpark. <laughs> So does referees. <laughs> a lot of words, but you know. Okay. Anyway, you got the meeting. We but got it straight. But it's you know, it's it it just commands a lot of respect. 
I mean, I do. I respect the office. I respect the office of the presidency. I mean, I didn't really like what George Bush was doing. I wasn't in favor of that, but I never really trashed George on, on radio. I didn't really go uh-huh. after him, you know. But but Trump, and I say this with all deference, is such a complete asshole in every aspect of his life and his and what he's doing to America now. I have zero respect for the office. And I say that because Dan Coats, who, you know, Trump threw under the bus, our intelligence officer, the top guy, he got into hot water this week because he didn't know that Trump had invited Putin to Washington, D.C., and he, he was told that at a conference when he was on stage, and he went, what? It was what? Bre- breaking news. Yeah. He went, say that again? Yeah. <laughs> so, and he looked very awkward. Now, the White House took that as an offense. Are you kidding me? No, he's just surprised. He was just surprised. But this week, he apologized for that. Give me a break, Well, Dan. What, what did he say? He said something along the lines of... He wasn't doing it on purpose. He was going, oh, wow, that's, uh, that'll be a biggie. Yeah, well, he goes, that'll, yeah. that'll be serious. That'll mm. be something. Something, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, you know, and people still, that's why, you know, it's a little bit of what, you know, deference that they have. What do you, what'd you call it? Deference is okay? Reverence. Reverence. Deference works as well. Okay, that they have for the office, mm. and no matter who's in it. See, and I call bullshit on that now. I call bullshit on that now, you know? I mean, it's like my friend Tommy DeMarcus, who was a staunch Republican and did not like Obama in any sense of form. And when Obama first came into office, and he was very eloquent in giving all the speeches, which was, you know, after George, you know, more markedly contrasted, mm. Mm. you know, I remember Tommy saying to me, yeah, yeah, the man's a good speaker, but I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't have to agree with his policies. Yeah, so there you yeah. go, you know. But now, I mean, Trump has, you know, just denigrated and debased the office to such a degree that I don't even think of the Oval Office as the Oval Office. You know what I feel? I think I've just put my finger on it now. When I think of the Office of the President now and all of that entails and yeah. institutions and the Oval Office itself, and I think of it it's when I, in my head, I get cartoon. It's like a cartoon presidency in a yeah. cartoon yeah. Oval Office in a cartoon White House. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, exactly. You know, I think of it in terms of Benedict Arnold. He was a general in the Revolutionary War that you know, ratted America out and George Washington's and went back to England, actually. And so any traitor is called a Benedict Arnold. And uh, I think of him as a fake president. I just don't think of him as legit. Hmm. So I don't think, you know, the Oval Office matters a whit right now. What was it? was elected, though, John. I don't give a shit. Okay. How did he get elected? Yeah. Um, we've, be- <laughs> we've been through this because Bernie Sanders was a better candidate. <laughs> Because Hillary just railed at ordinary people, See, you're, calling you're like them homophobic. You're, you're like a Russian denier. You, know, uh, you don't think the Russians had anything to do with it. And, and them. And you're totally and wrong. Them. They and had them. a hell of a lot to do and with them. it. <laughs> and them. And them. And them. And those bastards. Actually, but, but with the Russians, do we know that they were actually trying to get Trump elected? Do yeah. We, or, or there wasn't... That was at the conference, too. Oh, okay. A reporter asked him. Did you want Trump to win? Mm. And Putin said, yes, I did. And he said it twice. Yes, I did, because Trump wanted to bring closer Russia-U.S. relations. Lovely. So he said that. It's on record. Okay. Now, white on black. Oh, this is lovely. This is another, you know, this is a wacky America for you. But now, now this has happened before Trump, okay? But under Mm. Trump, it has accelerated to the point of being absurd now. White people calling the cops on black people for doing ordinary things. Mm. 
And this has happened, you know, uh, for public barbecues. Uh, so, uh, you know, a little kid was selling water in, in San Francisco. A woman called the cops on her. You know, a black fireman was walking through the neighborhood of Oakland doing a, a check, as firemen do, on certain things in yeah. neighborhoods. And some lady called the cop. Some black woman tried to use a coupon that a, that a company sent her to redeem. Okay. The guy called the cops on her mm -hmm. for that. Uh, community swimming pools. White people are always calling the cops nowadays on black people in community swimming pools now, who are in the okay. community. I don't, I don't want you to um, stoke a fire that doesn't. It should, does exist. Be, it it does exist. Do, do white people call um, on other white people? I don't have know. Have you that. got a permit? No. No, they no, don't. No, I, I bet not, you they do. I bet you they don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. Do you think? See, that, I don't know. Do, do you think that a white person is going to call uh, 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 on another white kid selling water? No. If not they haven't got, to. if they worried about them having not had a permit or no. something. No. Well, that know. happened. I'm there, not going to just jump in and assume. <laughs> There's nothing to assume here. This Describe is, to you, once again, what you're, can, you know, you, you're not looking. If you all you got to do is look. It's just, it's just out of control. <laughs> and there was a a, a white guy that called. Uh, the cops on a black kid selling hot dogs in Minnesota this week, okay, in his front yard. You know, I mean, that's bullshit. You know, I don't give a shit what you say. This is not, this is something that's happening, and white people are, you know, mind your own goddamn business. Some little kids selling hot I dogs. I didn't what say anything. I'm just wondering. I'm just thinking, well, you know, I would like to know. It's happening a lot. I would now, like to this know. Is the way you can cherry pick these things and inflame. These, these are the not situation. cherry picked. I haven't said this for a while because I've just been looking at all this stuff. Okay. And every day there's another story and another story, and it doesn't stop. And the hot dog kid was a nice story because the cop came out. Why don't black people call on the white people with the hot dog stand? I, I don't know. They don't give a shit. They're minding their own business. Man, you people lives. are funny about race in America. You, know? you are so but the, funny. The hot dog kid, yeah, we're, we're, we're anal. And you're exporting the ideas, too. These <laughs> attitudes, you know, it's, it's, it's like it's become a global thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, no, we're very uptight. We're uptight, we're uptight about Janet Jackson's tit that she exposed at the Super Bowl. Aren't you we're, funny people. we're still up, uh, uptight about that. Yeah. We're very uptight about who uses our toilets. Yeah. You know, whether what what kind of where, where you come or from. Bathrooms. Bathrooms. Yeah. You know, yeah. See, that's funny because I say toilet now. Yeah. And, you know, the Even in the middle of the bush, someone yeah, says, "Oh, I'm I need to go to, to the, the bathroom." bathroom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> where the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. And we're uptight about race. I mean, yeah. those those things we're very uptight. But now the hot dog kid was nice the way it worked out because the cop came out and said, "Okay." Told the white person to go back to their knitting or whatever the hell they were doing, mm. and said to the kid, "Look it, all right. You, basically, you do have to have a permit for this. So why don't you come down to the city hall with me? I'll get your permit." Cool. And that's what he did. I mean, so there you go. Wow, there you go. There's a little sensibility. Something yeah. Something was just normal. But now this one takes the cake. This one takes the cake. Don't be getting your goddamn clicker because this one, god dang it. Red, white, and blue America. I this... just moved. I, I, <laughs> I held the mouse for a moment. This, this takes the cake. I got to say, this is ridiculous. They're playing a pickup game of basketball at the YMCA in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Normal activity. Young Men's Christian Association always has a gym open for young men to be physically active. And they're out there playing basketball, as you do. I've done it a million times in my life. And there's always fouls and always arguments and blah, 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 blah. A black guy fouls a white guy. The white guy gets pissed off, calls the cops. And the cops come down and go, what? Oh, you no. got fouled? No. 
Everybody gets fouled. Yeah, calling Everybody. the cops. <laughs> he called the cops. And, well, the, and the cop had to write a report because he got called. And he said, this first time in my career I've ever been called to adjudicate a basketball foul. Oh. Uh, well, from my hometown, <laughs> a younger sister was upset because the older sister came back with the incorrect McDonald's. Oh. It, it had, or it didn't have bacon in it or something it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah. She called the cops. Oh, no. Yeah. Come on. And... While You're making the, that up. No, and while they were arguing, the dog ate it. <laughs> bullshit. I got, no? I got bullshit, folks. No. <laughs> I'll post it up. I'll post it up online. It's, uh, it's straight out of the paper. God. God bless Northland. There you go. There we go. That's us. That's us, buddy. Uh, okay, John. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Goodbye. Graham. Cheers. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio oh, Live. New Zealand International Film Festival, a big fat excuse to celebrate a scientist. Paul was as close to a Renaissance man as we're likely to find in the modern world. He, of course, was an absolutely committed and extraordinarily knowledgeable physicist, uh, but he could talk to people about anything. His phrase, make New Zealand a place where talent wants to live, is, has become a kind of a motto. In many countries, I think he would have, you know, we would have had him on, the, on a postage stamp or on a you know, on our currency. His impact in a huge array of different types of scientific fields has been massive. He was well respected for his science, but on the other hand, he was a passionate New Zealander. So I'm a kind of a contrary individual in some ways. I'm a, I'm a mixture of, um, you know, tendencies pulling in different directions, and there's a sense of paradox uh, uh, um, that I live with all the time that way. And the only way I can satisfy that is by um, being broader than just one aspect of my profession. That's the introduction. It's by way of testimonial for the celebration of Paul Callahan. People who listen to this program may know him, but I would say, in general, I don't think there is a larger gulf in human existence than the appreciation of science and how much we take it for granted. I don't think there's a larger gulf. Joining us, the maker of the movie in celebration of... Paul Callahan, Dancing with Atoms. Shirley Horrocks is the director. Would you agree? And I'm always up for something that goes some way to rectify that. Yes, I first met Paul Callahan when I made a documentary called Venus, A Quest. That talked about the transit of Venus, which happened in um, 2004 and then again in um, 2010. Mm. And Paul had a project tied up with that, which was very like what he did, to take a, an event which had a huge impact on New Zealand's history because Captain Cook had come to look at the transit of Venus. It was a scientific journey that he had sealed orders to sail on and find the great continent, mm. and he found New Zealand. There was a big event in um, Gisborne. Paul had planned a big event. Sadly, he died three months before, and it was an event to talk about the future of New Zealand. Well, in celebrating our scientists, he, he should be on money and be better known. This movie will go some way to making him more part of the public imagination. It's said that he'd be better known overseas than here, but is, is it really more a matter of he's well-known in the disciplines for which he's famous, and that's in physics? In physics, he'd, he'd be a household name amongst physicists, right? Absolutely. He won the Ampere Prize in 2004, which to him would have been the most important prize he could have won because it was given by his peers. Mm. But 
that wouldn't have made particular waves mm. in New Zealand. No, we can't recall the Ampere Prize winner for the year before, can we? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what sort of character was Paul Callahan? He was an ebullient sort of character, tons of energy, loads of curiosity, and I think that's what made him the man he was. He was open to people's ideas, if he thought they were sensible, but they had to be executed as his secretary, his management um, person said, if it wasn't done perfectly well, mm. that wasn't uh, so good. What did he do? Why did Pip physicists go, wow, Paul Callahan? Well... Paul was a multifaceted character and his area was nuclear magnetic resonancing, otherwise known as NMR, which I had to learn about. As soon as I realised that MRI was nuclear magnetic resonancing, but it wasn't called that because of the nuclear word. People, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Because people don't want to think they're going to be nuked when they're having this examination thing. Um, but it's really because the molecules are dancing in a particular way that sends out information mm. that can tell doctors a lot about what's happening inside the body. Right. But Paul used mm. nuclear magnetic resonancing in different ways to understand what was happening in a molecule which could give a lot of information to scientists. For instance, one thing that he did, soft butter. Oh, right. Because the information that he gained by his particular science could tell them a lot about what they should do. Okay. When did you get all this interview material? He's, he's dead and how long has he been dead for? He died in 2012, right. March 2012. Right. How and when did you get all this interview material with Paul? Well, some I got myself when I interviewed him for a film I made in 2011. I did the interviewing. Mm. And that's when I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> I didn't know anything about this guy until until I made this documentary. And he knew he was perilously sick at that oh, time? Oh, yes, yes. He was just about to take off to spend three months with his family in Cambridge mm. in England. He wasn't very well but mustered up enormous amounts of energy for the interview. Mm. But luckily in 2010, the McDiamond Institute, of which he was the founder... Named uh, after one of New Zealand's Nobel Prize Exactly, Alan McDiamond. Sorry, chemist. Fortunately, the McDiamond Institute had the foresight to ask Gaylene Preston to do an interview with him over two days. Mm -hmm. So I had all this interview material. His background, do you spot anything that would have hinted of, of greatness? The formative years in the 50s, the greatest thing about him that indicated that he was going to do something really interesting was his curiosity. Mm. Everybody, all his teachers, commented on his curiosity. He had to know exactly what was what, how things worked, and indulged in a lot of experiments with his friends. And this is in the documentary. We've reenacted some parts of his childhood because his childhood was very important to him. He often spoke about it and he wrote about it in a small book that was published by Bridget Williams. Mm. So I wanted to bring to life something of what made Paul Callahan Paul Callahan. And his brother also, Jim Callahan, talks about what Paul got up to. 
um, in his childhood with Richard Green, who is also in the documentary, a school a oh. school friend uh, who took part in these experiments, which blew up his father's garage and nice. stuff like that. Uh, pretty much boys' stuff, I'm afraid. Women can blow things up. Oh, yes, they can. Just tend not to get chemistry sets. That's right. In the 1950s. Yes, I wish I'd had one. Yeah. Okay, but a 60s kids, student protests, that sort of thing, cultivated a leftist outlook. Yes. Got into arguments. There's a marvellous argument he had at the freezing works, wasn't there? I remember when I just started university, I was spouting some of my left-wing opinions, which I'd acquired as a Victoria University student, because I think I was in my third season at the works. And I, I was standing next to a big Croatian guy. His name was Mr. And he put his knife straight to my throat. And he held it there and he said, I f***ing kill you, you bastard. <laughs> and uh, I, I had this vivid memory of, um, of the, the feel of this against my carotid artery and I just sort of backed off. And uh, often joke that I learned a little bit of respect for other political opinions at that stage, you know. <laughs> it's a remarkable he, little story. It's isn't a it? wonderful story, and he tells it so well. Yeah. He remained really compassionate his entire life. It seemed to be quite a strong suit of his. Yes, he was a, definitely was a people person. One of the stories that somebody that worked with him said was that she'd received news that her husband had been diagnosed with cancer. I think it was when Paul was president of the Royal Society, so she let Paul know that um, she mightn't always be available because she might be at the hospital. And Paul immediately left the university and came down to the Royal Society just to see how she was. And this is how he was with people. He was a very compassionate man. Mm. To have a discussion face to face. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. rather than flick off an email or something. And there's another story of um, his outward compassion. I mean, people can be compassionate in thoughts and expression, but in deeds, that's where I think is a great calibration of if you're compassionate really or not, in your deeds. We had a Russian student, and he applied from Russia to um, do his PhD with Paul. A year or so later, that student's father died in St. Petersburg, quite young and of a heart attack, and quite unexpectedly. And Paul shows you what I mean about his compassion for people. He, he not only paid for his return fares, but he went downtown and spent just about the whole day arranging his travel so this student wouldn't have to do it. And he was great like that. That's a nice little story, isn't it's it? It's a great story. OK. He felt strongly about New Zealand losing in the brain drain as well. How many here have either siblings, brothers or sisters, or daughters or sons living overseas? <laughs> oh, oh, now half of you. Now let me try something else. How many of you got grandchildren living overseas? A, a significant number of you, yes. Enough that, I mean, I want to read my grandson, I want to hold the, the boy, I don't want to read him on Skype. Why is my grandson living overseas? There's nearly a million New Zealanders living overseas. Why? Because young New Zealanders get jobs and they, they earn high money and, and they're, it's very, they're very prosperous. They go to Australia and have a 25% higher income than here, not because the tax rates are wrong, not because of the Resource Management Act, it's just that Australia's richer. Why? Because they could dig another hole in the ground and sell it to China. <laughs> David Longy had it right. New Zealand's destiny was to be a theme park and Australia's destiny was to be a quarry. Losing our best to overseas. Yes. What needs to change then? What would have made Paul Callaghan satisfied? 
fill in a bit of background, Paul was always a very entrepreneurial scientist. So he could see when something had a commercial future and scientists would come into his lab and see what he was doing in his own work and say, oh, that's interesting, we'd like one of those. And he'd say, oh, well, we'll make you one and sell it to you. Mm -hmm. So that led on eventually to the starting of a company called Magratech, which produced portable NMR equipment. Now, NMR equipment had been huge and cost about $2 million. He and his team came up with equipment that was portable and cost in the range of $100,000. He felt he wanted to see 100 companies like his that would be contributing to the New Zealand economy because he felt that, okay, to boost the New Zealand economy, if we boosted tourism, we would boost all the side effects mightily and so forth. Okay. This could be criticised as a hagiography as well. He's an imperfect person. Right. This was very much on my mind when when I made the documentary. Hagiography, sorry, Liz, is a big, fat, flash word for a sucky-uppy thing. (laughs) To put it more politely, Graham, (laughs) a history of a saint. And Paul Callaghan was certainly not a saint. He liked to have fun. He enjoyed a good party. And I think we see we see this. Oh, but that's in, a good thing. In the, but in everyone thinks that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, it shows he's human. Oh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to be bad to be human, does he? He doesn't no. have to be naughty to no. be human. Okay. But negative sides to him. Well, I think when I was doing the documentary... When I asked people questions about Paul, I always said, now I am not making a hagiography, so I really want to get a full rounded picture Mm. of the man. And I did get two or three very good statements, which are in the documentary, about Mm. the fact that Paul would listen to people, he would listen to their ideas, and he would say, okay, but if it wasn't done perfectly then it was a different matter. He expected perfection. Mm. And if somebody came up and proposed something that didn't work, it was a different story. So, But apparently once that incident was over, everything was back on a normal footing. Okay. It's Richard Blake and Kate McGrath. They talk about times they fell foul of him. Yes. Yeah. Were they quite careful about what they said, do you think? No, I don't. loose? No, I don't think they were careful. I was very pleased. I thought it was very generous of Richard and Kate Mm. to make the statements they made. Mm. Okay. He was a nice mix of the science and the arts, or at least could appreciate them, and um, thought it had a a great value. Yes. um, I mean, he saw that they were both creative, sets of creative minds working on problems, when Glenda Lewis proposed the Our Angels OK book, he jumped at it with alacrity. Glenda Lewis from New Zealand Royal Society. Yes, she was yeah. with the New Zealand Royal Society. She's now works privately, mm. but, but also with the McDiamond Institute. But she's a and formerly the Ellen Wilson Centre. Yes, absolutely, and she's a, a great person. Mm. One of these unsung people that do she gets things done. She gets things done. She does. Good on you, Glenda. Paul Callahan was the crazy person who said pest-free 2050 before John Key, didn't he? Absolutely. Now, I have to say that Doc had 
proposed this idea a while while before, but it was Paul Callaghan. He saw the benefits that it would bring to New Zealand, and that it could be done, and that it could be done. And he called it New Zealand's Apollo shot, because he said it's a crazy it's a crazy idea, but it can be done. It has a discrete goal. Yes. You know when you've done it. Yes, and he saw what was done in Zealandia the marvellous reserve in Wellington that has ex- managed to exclude these predators. So um, it was because Paul took the idea and ran with it in the mainstream mm. that I think the government then came up with the predator-free 2050 mm. idea, which is happening. And, yeah, Taranaki is first cab off the rank. They'll put a flag up the mast when it's done. Yes. So I hope... Envy will take over and Northland will be next. We'll see. It needs a bit of work. It's getting a bit of cash. (laughs) And there's weight given to something when he says it. Because of the sir in front as well. That helped. He thought about, oh, do I have a sir or don't I? Because he was offered one. Yes. Well, he thought if he speaks for his students if he writes them references and so forth it might have more impact if he puts the sir i really warm to that because my my husband's exactly the same he's got a doctor in front of his name mm. but he only uses it if he writes references for for students and he still gets asked to do that even right. though he retired a little while ago it helps your team it helps your team. Yeah, it's not a selfish thing. It's mm. not a, oh, look at me. Mm. Yeah, it ha- yeah, I can totally understand that. And anyhow, why not accept an award? Now, I seem to recall when he was very, very sick, as desperate human beings I want to do, did he dabble in some woo, some anti-science stuff? Um, Paul, how should I put this? Um... Because when I heard about it, I went, oh, no. Really? Yeah. Wasn't that vitamin C mega thing he was yes. trying? Um, Paul had great faith in the treatment he was receiving medically, but he also was interested in the possibility that vitamin C treatment could help, so he, he tried it. And as he had a blog, he used to write about it in his blog, but... Vitamin C, taking vitamin C didn't work for him, and he was at great pains to say that in his blog. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... But this is a kind of why not, rather it than was a, a testimonial endorsement. No, it was a why why not try it, and unfortunately it didn't work for right. him, and he wrote about it. Okay. His legacy. How's he made his mark? I think he's a role model as a great New Zealander a world specialist in his field, but also someone who cared deeply about making New Zealand a better place. His words, a place where talent wants to live. Mm. And he was involved in many aspects of that, such as the economy and the environment. We've talked about predator-free New Zealand. Mm. Martin Rees, Lord Martin Rees, said that he was... Astronomer general. Astronomer general in the UK said that he was an absolute role model of what a scientist should be because Ma- uh, Martin Rees was also a great commu- is a great communicator mm. takes great pains to try and communicate science to a wide audience for the sake of a great new zealander this is an extra incentive i think 
to give us more will to push on for Predator Free 2050. Think of Paul Callaghan. So let's get on to it and let's make New Zealand a smarter place scientifically and let's reduce, as I began with, that gulf between the appreciation and our reliance on science because it goes so underappreciated. I think that science and the arts are the two most important things in life, Mm. in my opinion. Shirley Horrocks. I've forgotten about the movie now because it's just been lovely to talk about Paul Callaghan. Yes. That's terrible of me, isn't it? It's on at the New Zealand International Film Festival. This has just been a big, wonderful excuse to talk about the life and work and character of one of our finest scientists, Paul Callaghan. Paul Callaghan, Dancing with Adams, Shirley Horrocks, the maker. Thank you. Give the times. Oh. You look disappointed now that you've got right. you couldn't. That's all right. That's all right. Go on. <laughs> The first screening is July the 24th at the ASB Waterfront Theatre, 6.15pm. That's a charity event. These are Auckland venues, by the way. We'll be going around the country. Absolutely. There are two more screenings at the Rialto Cinema in Newmarket on July the 27th and July the 28th. And then it goes to Christchurch, Dunedin, Nelson, Palmerston North, New Plymouth. Are they proud of him in Whanganui where he grew up? I imagine so. They've been wanting to have an event there, but the festival doesn't go there. So I guess Palmerston North's the closest. He's going to make an exception for his hometown. We'll have a screening at some time anyway outside of the festival, I've promised. Oh, good for you. Shirley Horrocks, thank you. One of the values of science is that knowledge is never to be feared. There's an inherent, if you like, faith in science that knowledge per se is never to be feared. And for me, approaching my disease, I've looked at it that way. I've wanted to learn as much about it as possible, what's happening inside me. And to be interested in it is to overcome the fear. I just find that works for me. I'm not saying it would for everybody. But it is part of the way that a scientist tends to look at the world. Nature is violent and cruel. And, you know, people in Christchurch know that, of course uh, lives could be cut short very very quickly and that's the pattern of things so to have life at all to have life every day is uh, something to be uh, you know in- enjoyed and treasured you're tuned in to the weekend variety wireless Psst, don't tell anyone but we've got a double ta- pass to the new zealand international film festival no tricks just call this number 0800 844 747 0800 844 747 First in, first serve, 